Good morning. It's good to see you. We are in 1 Samuel chapter 23 this morning as we continue our study, our time together in learning to sing in the desert, meaning uh, learning to sing to the Lord, even in the difficult times, in the battles of life, in the desert times that are a stretch for us. And David is in the desert, quite literally. <laughs> He's in the wilderness. The battle that uh, he experiences in chapter 23 uh, is very difficult for him, and we'll look at that this morning. But like David, I imagine, we just want God to fix it. Just take care of it. Remove it. Get me out of here. Make it all right again. Make my enemy or my problem go away. God wants, of course, something actually better than that. He wants to develop us and fashion us into strong, godly children of character with the qualities and the very heart of Jesus Christ. Even Jesus learned obedience, and when I hear that word obedience, I think of faithfulness and goodness and wholeness. I think of all kinds of good things that sometimes we don't associate with obedience. But Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. That's, uh, we're told, in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. We, with that in mind, can learn and gain encouragement from David's experience here in 1 Samuel 23. We're also going to look at Psalm 54. So put your finger there. And at the top of your notes, it mentions Psalm 84, but that is my mistake. It's Psalm 86. So you can reference Psalm 86 because there are some real echoes with Psalm 54, especially Psalm 86, 14, and 15, not to mention the whole psalm, but the, even the wording there and the description of those who are foreigners to David, who actually are native sons with David, Judeans, who are acting like enemies and treating David like an enemy. And David just finds that hard to swallow, hard to absorb. It's very difficult for him. And we know those kinds of times. Sometimes they're known only to us in a way that we can't even really share with others the hurt or the difficulty, the challenge, the pain is so, so deep and personal. Well, we can learn from David's experience, I believe, and then with that experience, make a difference in the way we live our lives day to day in the high and the low times and become a real agent of the Lord in uh, helping others to sing in the desert. Last we saw, people gathered to David. We saw that in, particularly in chapter 22. He was on the, on, on the run alone 
for a long time. And then people come to David. In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 2, we're told 400 men gather to David. And we assume that that included the parts of their families as well. So it was probably even more than 400. And David now finds himself not alone, but surrounded and a God-given militia. But David just doesn't arm them and train them to fight. He disciples them, and we saw that when we looked at 1 Samuel chapter 22, and we looked at Psalm 34, 11 and following, where David teaches them the fear of the Lord. And even as Brian put up on the screen this morning, there are examples where David is discipling. He is, he is reviving a vibrant and true faith in God among the people, just like Samuel was trying to do, Samuel the prophet. Remember, they're coming out of the judges, a time of great spiritual sterility. And Samuel was a new movement, and David is a, like a new judge, only he is anointed to become king, but it will be some 12, 13 to 15 years before that is realized in his life and in the experience of the nation. But he's leading people even now and showing the qualities and characteristics of not just a military commander, which serves, of course, his interests in saving his own skin, but David has his eyes on what the Lord wants to do, and he has before him God's people, and he's beginning with those in his midst. And I don't need to make application for you. I'm sure you're thinking already, that's me in my family. That's me in my workplace. That's me in my community. That's what happens when the Lord gets a hold of us. He changes us. We're transformed from the inside out. And there are things that are happening that the Lord is doing through you and your countenance and, and your growing wisdom in the Lord and as you become more like Christ that you don't even notice that are changing about you. But there are things you can be conscious of as you intentionally seek to follow Jesus Christ and serve Him and seek Him and live for Him. Well, just to acquaint you with 1 Samuel 23, you see the uh, locations Keilah, Ziph, and Maon. They're boxed in red with red dots to kind of set them apart. You may recall in 1 Samuel 22, David and this militia of 400 get news that Keilah, uh, a city of Israelites are in danger. The Philistines have attacked them. Now, David could have chose to continue and hide out, not, not get involved, but he does. And they go down and they deliver God's people from the Philistines. They protect them and restore them. 
And David sought the Lord and received answers in regards to that. But news will reach Saul, and Saul will come down, and David will seek the Lord. Will Saul come down? And the Lord answers, yes. Will Keilah stand by me? And the Lord says, no, they will not. They're going to give you up. They're going to betray you. Can you believe that? And David is betrayed by Keilah to Saul. So Saul flees to the wilderness of Ziph. And the Ziphites, I guess you, gotta, you just got to wonder about anybody with the name Ziphite. But the Ziphites, they tell Saul, David's here. And they send out men to locate David's hiding places and give him up to Saul. These are hard times for David. Can you imagine? You're on your own, and you probably, in such circumstances, wrestle with really trusting the Lord through those difficult times. It's easy to think that the Lord's on our side when everything's sweet and going our way. But when it isn't, that's when our trust is tested and our faith is validated by our allegiance and our reliability, our responsibility, and our dependability in sticking with the Lord. And David seeks to do that, but it's shaking his soul, I'm sure. If I'm going to be king and people gather around me and I begin to disciple them as the the seed of the nation, the people, you know, grown in and allied with the Lord, and then we take the initiative to defend other Israelites, but they betray us, and then others betray us, you might think, what am I doing wrong here, Lord? Am I going in the right direction? Am I doing things correctly? And it's into the midst of this that David, even though God doesn't deliver him, but leaves him, so to speak, in the desert, on the battlefield, David says, God is my helper. The Lord is behind all that upholds my life. And we find that in Psalm 54. So if you have Psalm 54, I want to read Psalm 54 to us. It's seven verses the way we paginate it. And you might note in the title or superscription, a mascal of David when the Ziphites went and told Saul, is not David hiding among us? This is what David wrote in, the, in those circumstances. Oh God, save me by your name and vindicate me. Not just take me out of trouble, but do the just thing toward me by your might. God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers, I mean, do I even know these people? <laughs> Have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before their eyes or before themselves or before their faces. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. And it's very interesting because the Hebrew says, the Lord is among 
the helpers of my life. And that's why I've translated the idea, the Lord is behind all that upholds my life. He's in the middle. He's in the midst. He's the agent. Everything that good, just like when James says, every good and perfect gift comes from above. That's kind of what David is saying here. Everything that is good, that is happening, those who support me, those who encourage me, the help in my life, Lord, it is you, it is you, it is you. You are the upholder of my life. Do you see the good in your life is coming from the Lord? Do you see others in your life as an extension of, the God's, of God's effort to reach out and encourage, uplift, strengthen, build up, help you? Do you see God in all the details of your life? You'll become a David if you begin to do that. And you'll know joy like you haven't known. You'll be one of those buoyant people that's just hard to keep down. And you'll be resilient. Isn't that a great word? I remember a college teacher asked me, he said, you, you're resilient. I was a new Christian. And he used that word of me. And I said, what does that mean? And you know what it means? It means you're bouncy. Yeah, you've got bounce. Somebody pushes you down and you pop right back up. You're resilient. That's what we want to be in the Lord. We should be in the Lord, don't you think? I, d I think we should. Where was I? Oh, I was in verse 4. Verse 5, he will return the evil to my enemies. In your faithfulness, put an end to them. In other words, David says, I'm going to leave this in your hands. Can you do that? When someone wounds or hurts you, or someone betrays you, or do you become possessed with vengeance? Does your life plan, your life direction, the hopes, the dreams, the goodness that God wants to do in your life, does that somehow become derailed because of what someone has done to you? And now your, your life energy and focus is vested in vengeance. Or that joy, that weird, ugly, evil joy that comes from seeing somebody who hurt you encounter or suffer wrong. Schadenfreude, I think, is the German word, which is just a great word because it kind of sounds like what it means. You become envious instead of constructive and wholesome. I love that. It reminds me of Romans chapter 12, verses 19 through 21. You should write that down in your notes and look that up and read it later. Here David is expressing what Paul says we really have in our lives because of Jesus Christ who died for us and rose from the grave, poured out his spirit into our hearts, making us new creations. Of course, we shouldn't be vengeance, full of vengeance, but here David, the anointed one, who becomes, by the way, the iconic foreshadowing of the Messiah, even he can let go of vengeance because of the strength and the goodness and the wholeness of the Lord. And then in verse 6 and 7, David says, With a free will offering I will sacrifice to you. It will give thanks to your name, O Lord. And why will I give you thanks, 
O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from every trouble, and yet David's in the midst of trouble. So what's he doing? He's recalling, he's remembering. This isn't the first time the Lord has been, I've called on the Lord because he has been faithful to me before. There is a pattern in my life where I see God caring for me, delivering me, helping me, encouraging me. And so even now in the midst of this, in this betrayal, I can say, Lord, you're good. Your name is good, and I can give you thanks. For you have delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. Are you so full that you can absorb wrong without it destroying you? If you're full of the Lord, you've got that kind of resilience. You've got that capacity to take a hit and keep on going. You're far more powerful than the Energizer Bunny in Jesus Christ. What I want you to see in verses 1 through 3 is that David sets his enemies before the Lord. Can you do that in your life? Can you take the difficulties? And you may not, maybe enemy is kind of too big a word, right? Enemy, well, they're not enemies. But you're irritated with them, and you can't get over that irritation. Or maybe they're even prospering, and you don't see why. When you in your endeavor to serve and live for the Lord are not prospering as they're prospering. Whatever the occasion or situation, can you set that person before the Lord? That's what David does in verses 1 through 3. He sits, he sets them before the Lord. And then in verses 4 through 5, and this is pretty powerful, David sets the Lord before his eyes. He says, God's my helper, the upholder of my life. He sets God before his face. And this is pretty significant because it's uh, these people that have betrayed him that he says they do not set God before their eyes. They do not set God before them. And now David sets God before him. You are my helper. And then in verses 6 through 7, David sets a free will offering before the Lord. If you can set your enemies before the Lord, and then set the Lord before your own eyes, you'll be able to give thanks to the Lord even in the midst, even in the desert, even in the hardest times. And that's exactly what David did. But that's not all that God did for David. Even though God is my helper, we see in 1 Samuel 23, 7 through 29, that David seeks and expects God's help. I've kind of overviewed that, but I want to give you kind of an outline of what happens. 
We now kind of have an inside look at David's heart. But not only with Keilah, but with the Ziphites, David, via Abiathar, the last of the priests who has the ephod, he, he seeks the Lord. He sought the Lord. Let me give you the specifics. In verse 2, verse 4, verses 10 and 11, David seeks the Lord regarding Keilah and the Ziphites. And we're told in verse 6 and in verse 9 about Abiathar. So in all of those references, there are references to the central place the Lord has in David's outlook in life. And he seeks the Lord. And what is powerful is he expects God's help. We saw that in Psalm 54. David has an expectation of God's help. Do you have an expectation of God's help in the darkest hour of the desert? It's not hard for us, I find, to seek him, but it is harder for us to expect that beyond our prayers. But we need to go forth with that expectancy. We have to have eyes open to what God is doing. We also see that David not only expects, but accepts God's help. God helps him, guards him in verse 14. In verse 14, we're told that he didn't give David into Saul's hand. The hand is representation, is a representation of power. He didn't give David into Saul's power. But he encourages him in verses 16, 17, and 18. Let's look at that. 1 Samuel 23, 16, 17, and 18. Notice what we read. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul my father also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horish, and Jonathan went home. God prompts, I think, it doesn't expressly say it, but Jonathan makes his way at great, great personal risk. Now, if you haven't been with us through the series, you need to remember Jonathan is the son of Saul. He's supposed to be the heir of Saul. He's supposed to be the dynasty of Saul the king. And here he goes out to David. And it we're told expressly, he strengthened David's hand in the Lord. In other words, he put power into David, which was found in God, rooted in God, anchored in God. And he does that in some remarkable ways that we'll have to look at at another time. Because right now I'm thinking we'll have to look at that next week. And the third thing is that David accepts and recognizes God's help. Not only 
does he see John? You know, we don't know what transpired. It's very interesting that in all of the encounters between Jonathan and David, David says very little. Nothing much is recorded. Just as here. David doesn't say, Jonathan, I can't tell you how huge it is that you came out here in the wilderness, you know, running the risks you did to help me. We don't get anything. But I just want to remind us that sometimes, even though we expect God's help, sometimes we don't accept God's help. Sometimes we can wallow so much in our self-pity and discouragement. The very fact that a difficult time is, is you know, we just think, I shouldn't go through this. I shouldn't be enduring this. That there are ways people help out or reach out to help, encourage, give us wisdom, stand beside us, and we reject it in our kind of prideful self-pity. Well, with that as some kind of a baseline, I just want us to appreciate that here David really accepts that. And I think it's not only the, I think the expectation helps us to expect and accept that kind of help and help from God in all of its forms to see it and to receive it. But when we've really received it, then we also recognize it. And that's what David does in another instance later in the chapter in verses 25 through 29. They're in the desert of Maon. And Saul has come out because the Ziphites have told him where David is. And David has retreated to behind a rock. Now, we think this is probably a pretty big rock because he's got men with him. But it's kind of like being in a dark alley and it's a dead end. And you've seen this in the movies, you know. They're looking, it's the, it's so tense. How are they going to get out? They're, they're going to be found, you know, and then it's going to be horrible. And then at the last minute, the person or the ogre or whatever, for some reason, they get distracted and they turn away and the hero is saved. Well, that's what happens. Saul is on one side of the rock and David's on the other, and he's got nowhere to go. And as soon as David, Saul makes his way around, David's gonna, the jig is up. And all of a sudden, a messenger runs up to Saul and says, the Philistines are attacking, and Saul turns his army away to go uh, address the attack of the incursion of the Philistines. And David is saved. Now, in verse 25, that word is just the rock. But in 28... The rock has now become the rock of deliverance. The rock of escape. Who named that rock? How did it come to get that name? It came from David. It wouldn't have come from anyone else. He saw God's hand in that. And what we get a picture of is David is just, he believes and trusts in the Lord in ways that have opened his eyes and his heart to God's help in all of its forms, and he's able to hang in there in the meantime and wait upon the Lord and keep serving the Lord and not be, 
you know, put on the sidelines or out of the game because he's so taken with himself that he can continue to serve the Lord. And it's a beautiful thing. And I think it's those kind of people that have a song in the desert. I think that's the kind of person Jonathan was. I think he had a song in the desert. I think David had a song in the desert. And when you have a song of, of the Lord that he gives you in your desert, you'll be increasingly the kind of person that can be that Jonathan, that Jonathan was to David, to encourage others to bring a song into their lives, to be used of God in the lives of others. And that's why I just want to leave you with this thought, and we'll pick it up and elaborate, but you and I can be that friend that helps another to sing in the desert. And that's a beautiful thought. So I hope that you will learn to seek and expect the Lord's help and learn to expect and accept the Lord's help and learn to accept and also to remember and to appreciate the Lord's help, to recognize the Lord's help. You know, we have a friend in Jesus that is uh, more intimate, more close to us than even the Lord with David. Even the disciples with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that has been poured out into our lives is, is nearer to us than Jesus at our side. It's amazing who we are in Jesus Christ because of his death, his resurrection, and the outpouring of his Holy Spirit. And yet, I understand personally how there are times where when we go through difficult times, when we find ourselves in the desert, when we find ourselves in a battle, we can feel as though the Lord is at a distance. But I just want to remind you of Romans 8.35. And there's a whole list of things in which you can feel like you're under persecution, under distress, hunger, naked, great difficulty, even your life threatened. And those could be signs to us that God is at a distance, or that God is unhappy with us, or that these difficulties are his punishment. But I would encourage you to lean on Romans 8.35, because the message is, Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Nothing. Read the list. But it's not just so we can become fat and sassy. It's so that we can become resilient and joyful. And we have out of the resources and capacity of our heart and the fullness of the Lord, the ability to do things for others in his name, in his power, in his character, in ways that this world desperately needs. And I don't think I need to convince you of that. 
And so it is we are before this beautiful table with this bread and this cup. The bread represents the very body of Jesus Christ. His life for ours. His substitutionary atoning work for our sin. That's just one of the significant things that God has done for us through and in Jesus Christ. He has taken care of the deep, dark issues of our heart and said, I love you and you are acceptable to me as you are. You can't fluff or prim or beautify yourself to make yourself acceptable to me. You are acceptable to me by virtue of my Son, just as you are. Come just as you are this morning. Take this bread just as you are and receive it as the love of God, that he is for you. He is for you. That should be the baseline of your life. And then the cup. His shed blood, his life running out for us. And that symbolizes the sealing of a covenant. Nothing is more precious than the life blood. Life is in the blood. And it was with the solemnity of that blood that covenants were sealed, just like when we were kids and we cut our fingers and pressed them together. But now in a far more profound way, as we take this cup, it represents what Jesus Christ has done in sealing a new relationship, a new covenant. The same kind of covenant relationship that Jonathan made with David, only on a much higher hemisphere than you can imagine. And that covenant in 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 17 and 18, that Jonathan and David made, as we know from chapter 20, was grounded in the steadfast love, the loyal love of the Lord. This is the proof of his loyal love. And there's a new relationship into which you have been welcomed by Jesus Christ, by virtue of Jesus Christ, in the bread and the cup. And that is what we celebrate. And that is representative of our faith and its foundation, our anchor, our cornerstone in Jesus Christ. May that lift your heart and your spirits. May you leave the past behind this morning, whatever clutches it may have you in the grip of. Leave it behind. This is a new day. Every day is a new day in the grace and love of God in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let's take a moment to pray silently and then we'll receive the bread and the cup.
on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and blessed and said, this is my body which is for you. 